Are you looking for a job? Do you know someone who's looking for a job? Then check out our job board over at provisionpath.com forward slash jobs. Whether you want a full-time job or you're looking for something temporary or freelance, we've got you covered. Lots of jobs this week. Vox Media is looking for a full stack engineer. Watt Time is looking for a software engineer for clean energy. NASDAQ is looking for a product designer. Buffer is hiring for several roles, front-end developer, product creator, marketing engineer, data analyst, and customer researcher. Oh, and Revision Path is looking for staff writers. So check out the Revision Path job board at revisionpath.com forward slash jobs and find your next job today. And if you're looking for more jobs, become a member of our Slack community and join the jobs channel. See you there. You're listening to the Revision Path Podcast, a weekly showcase of the world's black graphic designers, web designers, and web developers. Through in-depth interviews, you'll learn about their work, their goals, and what inspires them as creative individuals. Here's your host, Maurice Cherry. Welcome once again to the Revision Path Podcast. My name is Maurice Cherry, and before we get into this week's interview, of course, we have to talk about our sponsors, MailChimp and Hover. MailChimp is the best software out there for sending marketing emails, automated messages, and targeted campaigns. Join more than 10 million people who use MailChimp to design and send 600 million emails every day. Sign up today at MailChimp.com. When you have a really great idea, you want to secure a great domain name for it, and that's really where Hover comes in. Hover makes it super easy for you to find that domain name and get it up and running with no hassle and no heavy-handed upselling. So go ahead and grab yourself a domain today and use our promo code REVISIONPATH and you'll save 10% off your purchase. Here's our Patreon fundraising campaign update. We're up to 32 patrons now for a combined total of $222 per month. Again, huge, huge thanks for everyone that is supporting us through Patreon. It really does mean a lot. Thank you so much for pledging your support and your appreciation for the show. If you want to become a patron of Revision Path and get access to some really great perks like special giveaways, we've actually got a giveaway coming up, early access to future episodes, and free Revision Path swag, head on over to patreon.com forward slash revision path and make that happen. Pledge levels are super affordable. They start at just $1 per month, and it's a really great way to support the show on a regular basis. Speaking of support, um, are you a member of our Slack community? If not, you should totally join. Uh, We've been having some really great conversations over there. Head over to revisionpath.com forward slash Slack to sign up for an update. So you can come and talk with me and other Revision Path supporters. We've got lots of great channels like a music channel, a channel for coders. We've got one for designers. And we've got our jobs channel that I mentioned uh, earlier. So again, check us out, revisionpath.com forward slash Slack. Come through and say hey. Now for this week's interview. I talked with Vince Baskerville, Product Experience Director for CallRail here in Atlanta, Georgia. Let's start the show. All right, so tell us who you are and what you do. Yeah, so I'm Vince Baskerville, and right now I'm at CallRail. I'm our uh, uh, UX director, kind of over product and the UX teams here. And I also teach part-time at General Assembly. I teach the UX course there. I want to talk about what you're doing at CallRail, but let's first talk about General Assembly. Uh, you say you teach the UX. Is it the immersive program over there? Part-time. Yes, it's a, it's a 10-week program, but it's um, a couple nights a week. Okay. Did you, by chance, happen to have 
Denise Nicole Francis is one of your students. This was the last cohort. Yeah, this is recent. Okay, this is pretty- yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, see, look, Atlanta, <laughs> small city. There you go. Nice. <laughs> How'd you get started teaching uh, at General Assembly? Man, so that means, so, you know, a lot of that, along with a lot of things in my career, was just kind of luck of the draw and just, you know, a lot of strategic motion on mine, a lot of back end parts. So I just happened to know a lot of different people. Long story short, when General Assembly was thinking about coming to Atlanta, they tapped into some good people here. And you actually might know Jarrett. Yeah, Jarrett Cole. Yeah, yeah. So he uh, was one of the main guys they tapped to kind of help get that, get that, you know, seed blooming here in Atlanta. And so, you know, they kind of entrusted in him and, and launching the inaugural courses with some really, really, you know, in their perspective, in their words, you know, like some key people, some strong, some strong leaders in the community. And I had the honor of uh, actually, you know, being being tapped for the UX course. And so I think they started, don't quote me on it, but I think they started with, with three different courses. It was UX and it was front end web. And I think potentially, I think they started with two development courses and one UX course. And, and they kind of blossomed here. They're, they're doing, you know, community really well so it's been great so how long have you been teaching there now it's a little over a year now yeah how is it so far is it is it pretty good it's you know two sides man it's good when i'm doing it the day before class i'm like holy shit you know (laughs) 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 it's intense you know uh especially now i'm back kind of back into the startup gig uh with carl uh you know i'm coming up a few months away from being a year here as well. But back being in kind of the startup thing and, and kind of having a growing company, you know, we've we doubled in size, almost tripled since I've been here. And with all that comes all this kind of intensity. And then, you know, then I have to also teach a couple of days a week. And so it's intense, but I love the evolution of the students. You know, that's probably the biggest thing that I honestly enjoy. I'm not an educator. And so I don't have the same type of emotion that like my wife will have or other educators and things. But I have learned to love the evolution of just kind of seeing how just people actually genuinely develop and take and nurture some of my biases that I bring toward this profession. And so it's kind of cool. Yeah. The, the interesting thing about teaching, particularly when you don't, you know, come from that teaching background is it really forces you to reexamine closely what you know and how you've learned it because you then have to kind of distill that down into its basic components and teach it to someone else. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And I mean, you know, my evolution in that regard has been thankful, you know, to my wife, you know, when we met, she was a teacher. And so she kind of really helped me evolve in that aspect because before I was doing this teaching gig, I actually was doing a lot of, you know, I've done speaking and probably at the height of when I was doing things, it was probably once or twice a month somewhere bouncing around uh, the nation I had some a lot of good opportunities around the globe but even that's very different you know you have a very explicit slot most of the time it's what you want to present to a very niche audience you know you can mandate what level of entry it's in and so I didn't target a lot of entry level people I targeted mid to senior people during a lot of my talks and so even then it was coming into something like general assembly speaking to people who who are career changers, right? You know, I got people who potentially, you know, some people were running like like phone uh, book printing businesses and then coming over. I'm trying to remember um, Dave what he was doing, but it's people who are not in this creative industry switching over and and helping them translate the skills that they have and showing how it's relatable and not being so afraid. And 
it was it's a different skill set that I kind of had to uh, dig deep and, and find and sharpen. <laughs> do you have any like success stories from any of your students? Do they come back and tell you how your your instruction has really helped them out or, or gotten them a job or anything like that? Yeah, so I mean, what I would for personally classify as probably one of my, my best success right now stories on what I what I've been really excited about. It hasn't matured long term just yet. It's uh, the same class that Denise was in. This, this guy Ryan. He and another guy, Mike, they both came in extremely timid, kind of that kind of stereotypical introverted kind of selves. And, and just they both had strong design backgrounds, you know, visual design, but they wanted to expand their skill set. And one of the things that I bring to, to General Assembly when I teach the course, you know, I always talk about understanding who's teaching and, and, and where their bias is. And my bias with UX is a lot, around a lot of articulating and communicate, you know, communicating what you want to do. And, and what you're trying to do and things like that. And I really stress presentation and presenting to, you know, to people and, and stuff like that. And, and they, that frightens a lot of people and that terrified them. <laughs> and so their evolution from the beginning where they just couldn't, couldn't do it at all to quarter to mid, mid course presentations, them writing down the script and reading it verbatim to the class. And then at the end, kind of still going off that script, but being a lot more comfortable and natural. And then Ryan having one to me, one of the best presentations. And I was just like, man, like that was just phenomenal. And so, you know, I haven't, haven't seen where the fruit of that is going to go yet, but I imagine it's going to carry him really far. If he was doing kind of, you know, doing, doing pretty good at his company already, but he, he admitted had trouble moving forward with ideas that he wanted to help push or, articulate why he felt whether it was subjective or if he actually had research behind some things that you know weren't as as, as wouldn't be as functionally great and he had trouble with that in the past and so i'd imagine he's gonna have, have a lot more success but that's more to come and uh, that's probably one of the ones that i think i'd be, be most happy about so far today the others i think people have been moving forward but it's only been a year and i haven't had anyone found a, a, a unicorn and, and, and say that they thank me. <laughs> well, I think, you know, kind of seeing that student growth, like you just said right there, can often be just really inspiring to know that the work that you're doing is actually making an impact. Yeah, yeah. It's been pretty cool and, and really great to kind of be a part of, of that aspect of their lives and kind of help, you know, sprout those seeds. Yeah. So speaking of, you know, kind of working and making an impact, talk to me about CallRail. Like, what do you do there? What does CallRail do? Uh, you sort of mentioned something about being a director of UX experience. Is that is that right? Correct. Yeah. The biggest thing, you know, we, we're just shy of about 50 people at the moment right now. Growing rapidly, the, uh, the two founders here, Kevin and Andy, man, they're smart, smart, smart guys. And honestly, you know, Kevin, the CTO, the guy who I reported to, I've kind of honestly quoted this quite a number of times talking about how I've never really had a boss I felt that was smarter than me, like actually genuinely intellectually smarter than me. <laughs> mm-hmm. But he is, it's, it's intimidating, almost intimidating, you know, how smart he is. It? But it's, I love it because it's, it's pushing me and, and, and making sure that I'm growing. But yeah, so, you know, these guys have done something pretty cool. And so they kind of asked me to come on board and, and what... I'm not sure like what I would classify as like my day to day, but you know, right now we have two UX designers and we have two product people on the team that I kinda help lead as a lead doer and kind of helping manage a team. So I kind of will also lead 
projects. Like if we have uh, major features and functionality that we're kind of coming out, I'll also take something on and help push those through. But I'll also kind of help make sure that any roadblocks that they have, ensuring that they can get their jobs done if we need to research any kind of thing or if we need to verify, validate, just kind of help in ensuring they're growing in their careers and, and inside the company and helping helping make sure that we, we fulfill our mission. And so I guess in that director role, it's, it doesn't really seem like you're doing too much of the day-to-day UX stuff. It's more about just managing the vision as a whole. For, yeah, for, you know, so it's it's tough. I want to say, I want to say because we're still kind of, you know, in that startup mode, I'm not quite there yet. I still, um, you know, Paul Graham had a great article. About, I'm not sure if you read, read the post on like the maker schedule and the manager schedule. And one of the you know tough things I'm doing right now is balancing both of those, trying to trying to do both, <laughs> right? And so, so I'm trying to you know help help translate the vision that you know Andy and Kevin are having for the product and for the company, and translate that into something that's tangible and what we can work on, and what that means you know day to day, week to week for for everyone to do, but then also to to lead by example. You know, we're still growing and we want to make sure that we all have an understanding of just what we're doing and, and we're not just kind of, it's a do as I say, not as I do kind of thing. And so so I do try my best to also still try to contribute without, you know, being overbearing or overshadowing. But it's, you know, it's, it's probably, you know, it's by far the toughest role I've ever had, I can honestly say, because of that aspect of, of managing that kind of maker and manager schedule. I'll, the contextual shift between one day I need to be have my, my product hat on and I'm looking at the roadmap and what we got, what we're going on. We just hired, we literally just hired another designer. And so that moves a lot of stuff that we can do up and, and moving things. And then I have to put my actual execution hat on the next day. Like, you know, <laughs> oh crap, I need to actually, you know, get this, this new feature out. <laughs> uh, right. And then the next day I have, you know, like three one on ones. And so. <laughs> And so it's really intense, but, you know, I, the smile on my face, it's genuine. At the same time, when I also have frustrations, I'm not going to lie and say it's, the, you know, like it's, I'm living in a candy shop, like there's going to be frustrations, but it's, I, I, it's, I genuinely love it. Like it's, uh, it's one of those things. No, that's good. That's a good thing. <laughs> yeah. So before you were working at CallRail, I know you worked at a couple of other places kind of around the country. You did some work for Salesforce. You did some work for Lithium. But here in Atlanta, I think you're probably best known, and you can correct me if I'm wrong here, probably best known for Triplingo. I think so, too, yeah. Yeah, talk to me about Triplingo. Man, that was a ride. That was awesome. <laughs> and so, so yeah, that was, oh, man, I can't remember the year anymore, but, you know, it's I've been moving around, like I said, of Cali and back and stuff. And so it's, Moved to Atlanta, went to Morehouse, and then then we founded up Triplingo. And so, funny thing about that, not a lot of people know that was actually born out of a hackathon. Okay. Um, and so, so Jesse actually, you know, kind of had the seed of the idea for a little bit, and, and he kind of was kind of nurturing it, but didn't really know anyone in the community. Didn't really have any way to kind of make his idea come to life. And a lot of people talk about go to hackathons, go to hackathons, and, and kind of things. And and uh, that's what he did. And it was just it just happened to just you know he hit the lotto on running into Pratik, Ross you know if I could put myself in that same equation you know James Martin just man just you know 
that level of talent, I feel like you couldn't pay that early. It was just no way you can afford, especially Pratik and Ross <laughs> at that early stage. <laughs> but yeah, but yeah, so, you know, it was born out of the hackathon. We, we won that event with just the ability to be able to design and then execute. And so we had really sharp designs. Jesse had great presentation skills between the, the all of us who actually helped on the you know extremely rough whatever you know throwaway code you kind of want to do for the prototype but, but we actually had a legit uh, thing built on accelerator titanium for a mobile demo and we won that event two weeks later we won entry into startup riot at Sanjay's event you know it was just kind of a an awesome thing just to win just to present at that that was expected to be it right our fire was meant to kind of die out. And we all knew we wanted to take it take it further, but it was just like, you know, hey, let's just go to this thing. And then we were just like, no, if we're going to do this, man, we're going to fucking win. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, and uh, and so we bunkered down and, and for two weeks we actually like polished, you know, tried to – I think I wrote a couple articles about how, you know, we went through 52 iterations in, in a couple weeks or whatever it was or maybe like a, a few months. Yeah, it was like we were living and breathing this whole like lean – Lean new action, lean startup, kind of like legit learn through iteration stuff. And I think that's kind of what was great about the team that we had. It was just such a mature team. And, you know, I, w- I was, you know, still young, but I, but I felt like a lot of the, the work I put and just kind of killing myself over the years, it kind of helped with that maturation on, on kind of underst- like genuinely understanding on how to, you know, execute on products. So, yeah, long story short, two weeks, we went, no one was even looking at us and we went and we won first place. All of a sudden, it was like, who the hell are these Triplingo guys? <laughs> <laughs> it was a roller coaster. For people who don't know, you know, you know, obviously, I'm not there anymore. And so I, I want to continue talking about it, but I don't want to take a fantasy. It's one of those things where startups are hard, right? You know, and so as much as I want to fantasize and talk about how great it was in the early years, startups are hard. And, and, and the biggest thing I talk about is if, if awards and stuff like that can, can give you money, man, that, that, would, uh, that would be great. <laughs> mm-hmm. But uh, but yeah, you know, we we did that. We we raised a few rounds of a few million dollars, which was also kind of crazy here in Atlanta before Yik Yak. This was years before Yik Yak. You know, Atlanta's not really known to do any type of consumer product thing, and for us to actually raise a few million dollars, which was kind of unheard of to, to do that in Atlanta yeah. for a consumer product. We were also charging like five bucks a pop for the download, which is also unheard of. It was like, what? You're charging money for your app and that not a dollar? <laughs> 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 we played with the, the pricing a lot. You know, we had a lot of, you know, multivariate testing with that. And so, again, just talks with just how serious we were in the early stages of that type of stuff. But, uh, yeah, won tons of design awards. Jesse won tons of presentation, more presentation awards. We... It was just, it was an awesome two-year ride, and then the cliff, and then the kind of come where things start coming back down, what we talked about earlier. Startups are hard, not meant to be idolized, and stability, right? You know, my wife and I were starting talking about having a family, and I was putting in 18, 20 hours easily, like practically every day. <laughs> when I wrote about how I was leaving Triplingo, one of the things that I, I wrote about, on, and surprisingly, it's, it's awesome when people come and talk to me about how they read that and how they kind of resonated. I talked about how it's just you can't sprint for two years and not expect any kind of negative outcome. You know, it's a marathon. Didn't quite get the hockey stick that I was kind of hoping for, that we all were kind of hoping for. And 
long story short, you know, my wife and I, we were talking about families and I started, I was presented an opportunity I just couldn't say no to, even though she tried a couple of times. Uh, <laughs> and that's kind of where it went, but it was, it was a crazy wide. We, uh, a lot of interesting and, and weird things I think happened from it, but, uh, but yeah. <laughs> does trip lingo still exist or I mean, since you made your exit? It does. It does. Yeah. You know, and so right now Ross and myself aren't there, uh, Jesse Pratik, and James are still there right now, going at it, you know, full steam and trying to continue to dream. And it's always wishing the best, and you know, obviously still have a vested interest. And so, <laughs> want to make sure make sure it goes well. Yeah. Um, but yeah, but yeah, no, no, they're still still going strong. Can't talk too much about you know publicly about what kind of some of the, the, the direction of where things are going, but it's exciting. Well, I think it's interesting to note that you know, like you said, one of the the big decisions behind you wanting to kind of step down from that was you kind of wanted to start a family and you wanted to just kind of take your life in a different direction. Yeah. You, you know, so, so with that, you know, we have, we have a little girl now and she's, she's, she's great, but family life, you know, I couldn't even fathom trying to understand how to do that. And Pratik does have kids. He's the only one at the time who did his sons are older. He has twins. You know, I think everybody's situation is unique and, and all that type of stuff. And I even look back right now when I was in Cali kind of working for lithium, like, man, how in the hell did we pull that off? Like, it was just, I went from doing the crazy stuff at Triplingo and, and, and doing what I was doing over there. But I mean, I still was, I went from my 20 hours a day to kind of not much less. <laughs> but, uh, but, you know, we made it work. But it's having a family, wanting to be there for, for my wife, be there and make sure that I actually was there for a lot of the micro moments with my daughter, man, that I just couldn't even imagine missing. And so one of the things I always talk about, I always say, I never live life with regret. I always move forward. Everyone in my family knows that. And it's, it's a very genuine thing. I also never, I'm never really embarrassed by anything either. And so like, you know, my, my family and parents have given up on trying to embarrass me, but <laughs> I just embrace it. And so whether it was something that I did in the past that people tend to like, you know, remember or be embarrassed about like, Oh, I can't believe I had my hair like that or dressed like that. Or, mm-hmm. or maybe, Oh man, I hate that I made that decision or what if it's like, no, I made the decision for a reason. You know, I live, I live, I live with it. Yeah. You can't take it back. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So with the work that you've done, like you said, you, you have spoken all over the world and you kind of have moved around and, and taken jobs in different places. And now you're here kind of settled in Atlanta. What is the Atlanta I guess, I don't know if I want to say just design because what you do kind of goes outside of those bounds. But what is the Atlanta, I guess we'll say tech scene. What's the Atlanta tech scene like from your vantage point? It's exciting, man. It is exciting. Like I'm not from Atlanta. I'm a transplant, probably like 90% of people here. <laughs> mm-hmm. And uh, and I, I can't even claim to really have been too much a part of the tech scene here, even though you know in some situations people – I love being a part of the conversation, but I've only been doing it for definitely less than 10 years, maybe, you know, five, if that even, but in total. But I will say, you know, from when I first got here to now, just the evolution has been just exciting. I talk about how when I did first get here, I guess it was like 2010, 2011, whenever it was, I talked about Lingo being one of the first consumer things, right? And it, it being a big deal. Well, now we got Yik Yak and they've raised, you know, double digit millions. Yeah, you know, still an outlier, but it's just it's awesome to get outliers like that. 
And, you know, we've got David Cummings who bought ATV that kind of allowed that type of stuff to kind of cultivate, you know, so we have, we used to only have ATDC and now we got switch yards that just opened, you know, Tavani and Dave. That's going to be awesome for consumer stuff. Tech Village for B2B SaaS stuff. ATDC, we got TechScore Labs that Paul Judge and his partner just opened up. And so it's just one of the biggest things that people talk about whenever they try to compare a tech community, design community, whatever the case may be, to, you know, it's like, what's this versus or what's this in comparison? And obviously it's like the Valley, right? Yeah. And, and sometimes even New York comes up in that. And one of the things that I can say, you know, being out there, what was that I saw was what was so great at that I feel in my interpretation, what was so great about it was it was just this oversaturation of just stuff. Right? Like it was just, you know, like where we are right now, I wanna say that, you know, you could probably in any given month go to at least like three or four densely populated kind of tech events. And like the valley, it's every day. And it's like, you know, for whatever vertical you can think of. And and so that's the difference. You know, we're getting there. And that's exciting, you know, because, you know, before, you know, it was maybe one every other month. Now you can almost fill a week up in a month. Yeah. <laughs> and so and I think that's a, a topic of debate because some people don't share that view. Some people are saying that, you know, the risk that comes with it is potentially this bubble of, you know, you got incubators, you know, people who are starting incubators to help other incubators start incubators. Mm-hmm. <laughs> kind of that kind of joke of a thing. But I think when you have a lot of the stuff that comes around, some of them are going to eat other ones. Some of them are going to you know, push others out of business. Some of them are going to force people to specialize. What happened with Switchyards, why Tavani was very focused on his vision, what they were doing with Switchyards, how it's, how and why it's different from ATDC or TechSquare and all these other things. And so to me, that's exciting. That's where once you have that density, then that's, I mean, that's where it's at. You know, it's, it's yeah, it's going to be this oversaturation. You're going to have these, these old heads talking about like, it's too much. You know, these people, I can't go to a, a coffee house, whether it's Octane or, or Starbucks or wherever without someone talking about tech. But if you, if you want a really great culture, that's kind of what you need. Yeah. I mean, you can always, I mean, anytime you go to Octane, it's always going to be that way. Yeah. So <laughs> you, you can't beat that. I mean, at, at either location, even the satellite ones, it's the same way. You, It's just, right. that's just how it is. <laughs> I feel like the Atlanta, I guess, tech scene, is, I mean, like right now, I feel like it's very startup focused. There's a lot of talk about startups, again, with all the different spaces that you mentioned. And for people that are listening, um, ATV is Atlanta Tech Village. ATDC is the Atlanta, is it Technology and Development Center? Is that what it is? Yeah. Tech Square Labs is with Paul Judge. I think Rodney Sampson also is is there doing some stuff with diversity. So we have a lot of these spaces that are in town, which are not necessarily, they're sort of co-working spaces, but they're also like startup incubators. It's like a, a mix of the two. And Switchyards, Downtown Club is a new one that just opened this month. That's fairly recent to the, the the scene as well. But there's a lot of startup kind of energy that's that's in and around town. And so I know even when I talk to people, it's so much about startups and pitch decks and exits and, and things of that nature. And me being a designer, honestly, a lot of that stuff I really don't care too much about. Uh-huh. I, I more am, am wanting to sort of connect maybe with designers on a on a creative level. And not saying that that's not here. Yeah. 
But I feel like a lot of that, like tech and startup and design is really kind of conflated into just the the startup scene. Like you go to events and it's hard to kind of tell who's there for what. You know what I mean? Right, right. It can be kind of an interesting sort of a, a conundrum to have. I think that's true. And, and I think there's what I, what I, my limited perspective on it, I think it's related to geography and potentially even age. A lot of that is centered, you know, here in, in the city, in actual, like, legit Atlanta, um, yeah. right? Whereas, you know, so I, I live in Sandy Springs, and I – that culture is not out there, right? And that's where you got all the tag meetings, uh-huh. <laughs> right? Oh, I see that. And that's interesting to note because, you know, Atlanta is huge yeah. in terms of the sprawl. And so a lot of what we're mentioning with ATDC and Tech Square and all that kind of stuff, that's, like you said, in the city of Atlanta proper mm. – once you get outside the perimeter, the conversation kind of changes. Yep, yep. And so that's where I think there's there's some interesting and cool stuff happening out in Alpharetta, Sandy Springs, and you know a little bit in Dudley and things like that. And it's focused on kind of this more mature crowd, and you got people showing up for eight a.m. meetups rather than the six p.m. meetups here in, in the city proper. Oh yeah, they're better. They're better than me about that. I, I can't. Yeah. That's, <laughs> That's admirable. Eight o'clock in Atlanta with this traffic? That's admirable. That is admirable. So, yeah, so it's, it's interesting. You know, I, I don't do too many of those. And, and like I said, you know, especially, you know, my situation's changed a lot with, with my kid. I used to, I started two particular meetups being a part of the community. I used to run ATL UX, gave that up when I left to Cali. And then uh, when we came back, I started. AM UX. Um, I realized evening meetups were difficult to kind of attend to. We do bath time with our daughter, with our daughter, and it's kind of a it's a big deal. And we have like a YouTube playlist that we go through and we sing along and stuff. And I, I, re, I tend to read to her like you know a couple stories. And so so you know I enjoy those things. And so the evening meetups, like I said, you know you can kind of have a week where your whole month is kind of taken up and. And so the morning was kind of the better thing for me. So I started the, the morning, you know, with um, with some, some of the cool people over at, uh, at Pardot. And but then that that even kind of became too much. You know, I, I drop her off at school now, and I'm like, mm. you know, it's intense. But you know, it, 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 the morning things for the different crowd. You know, like I I've been doing this for for a while now. But I mean, I you know, I get up at four every day now and be productive because if it's better for me to be, I am a night person, but. Mm-hmm. Having my, you know, my daughter, I, I realized I, I need to be forced into this morning person thing. <laughs> right, right. And so and I imagine that's kind of, I think, the stereotypical thing, but I think it's, it's there for a reason. I think that's what happens. And uh, and so those things were, were, were more you know, op- open to me, those morning things. <laughs> mm-hmm. I would like more like lunch stuff, yeah. like lunchtime sort of thing. Yeah. It's so funny because the name of my company is Lunch. <laughs> And I like I like, you know, having things right around them, because for me, in the middle of the day like that is when I know I can probably actually get the most stuff done in terms of a meeting or a call or something like that. Because morning, I'm not really a morning person. I can be if I have to, but nine times out of ten, I'm not. And then I do a lot of my work at night. So night meetups and night events for me, I have to sacrifice. It's like, what am I not working on (laughs) to go to this event? You know, that that sort of thing. Or how many hours do I need to put in once I get home if I go to said event? So it's, it's you know, kind of one of those things where I know that that's really for the after work crowd. Mm-hmm. But because I work for myself and my hours are, you know, kind of flexible like that, 
nighttime is usually when I'm getting stuff done because it's there's no distractions, there's no phone calls, there's no emails. It's just easier to get things done. But then on, in the same vein, that's when the meetups are that you have to go and network and talk to people. And personally, I'm still trying to find that balance. And I've been doing my business now for you know seven years, and I'm still trying to find what that balance is because. I love more daytime stuff like lunch or early afternoon doesn't really happen a whole lot. Most stuff is like 6 p.m., 7, 8. And I'm like, I'm working then. I can't really get out and yeah, and do stuff, especially if I know I've been working to, up to that point. It's inertia, you know. Right. It's like I've been here working, doing this this whole time. Now I have to break out of that and go and be social. It's a it's a totally different sort of thing. Yeah. No, I mean, I, I can relate to that 1000 percent. And that's, you know. I'm still trying to figure out my I don't want to get dependent on sleeping pills and things of that nature. You know, right, right. I'm just not a morning person. And so I have to like take, you know, every now and again, take a pill to just force myself to go to sleep because I need, you know, I want to wake up by four. But I just, you know, I can easily stay up to like two or three, even if I did wake up at four (laughs) the previous night. But yeah, so it's funny to talk about lunch. One of the things that a lot of people don't know about what what I've done when when I did get here in Atlanta. I feel the same way. And, and what me and James did, one of the other co-founders at Triplingo, we both, he came from Cincinnati. I came from Florida. I'm not from Florida, but but uh, we moved I, we moved up from there to here. And we both weren't really kind of familiar with the scene here. And like you said, there weren't any lunch things going on and, and or aren't now and definitely weren't really things happening kind of then. And so we did this, what we called French Toast Fridays. And it was it was pretty funny, but... Like the goal of it was to reach out to just people here in in, in Atlanta and just kind of like, hey, what's going on? Not have any type of objective. We weren't trying to pitch them anything or sell them anything or, or whatever. Just to just to genuinely get to know people. It was our you know the way to fast track to get to know people in the community over brunch. You know, we did it over at Highland Bakery on the original location. We always tried to do it at you know trying to make it a tradition, like legit thing out of it. So it was like always at eleven. At the same, you know, at the same location with the same waitress, it was impossible to get the same table. We tried to get the same table, <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, it was, it was like French Toast Fridays, and it was uh, kind of a thing. And, and we did that for a whole year, had a year celebration, and it was just like after that year, and almost even before that, it was like it did its job. We we kind of we're kind of been welcomed, and we're kind of we're in the community now. That was kind of an interesting thing that we did. Well, let's kind of switch gears here because I know we spent a good amount of time talking about the work that you do, and you've touched a lot about on on your family. You talked about your wife, talked about your daughter as well. Mm-hmm. Are they kind of the people that keep you motivated and inspired to do the work that you do? So, I mean, so the, the answer to say is obviously yes, right? That's that's the, uh, the, hus- <laughs> the husband and, and dad award answer. <laughs> uh, and, and although that is true, I am also you know my, my wife would be the first to admit. You know, I am my own motivator for the most part. You know, I just I drive myself like crazy. I, you know, I'm, I'm my worst critic and my my best motivator. But one of the things I will say is, uh, my wife for sure has made me want to be better and faster over the years. And I think I would, you know, whatever type of success, whatever I want to attribute to myself, it's it's like you know, just a, a direct correlation to her. Almost to the point where I can even relate to when we first started dating. I was working for uh, ad agency in, in Orlando, and you know, this, you know, this guy was getting like free hours out of me. And I'm working. I, I was staying weekends, literally like sleeping on the couch as uh, video uh, projects were rendering. I did a lot of post production work too, 
And, and, you know, I was on a salary. I wasn't, I didn't get any overtime, but just that, you know, the money didn't matter. It was just about the work and the, the artistry. And then we met and she was the, the only female that I actually allowed to, to regulate my schedule. And she was like, no, you need to leave by like seven. <laughs> I was like, what? <laughs> and I, I was like, you know what? You know, I want this to work. And so I was like, I need to figure out how to get everything that would take me until midnight to get yeah. done by seven. <laughs> Isn't that amazing how that happens? Yeah. <laughs> it, no, I'm serious. Like someone will come into your life like that and then you will, I mean, the way that you start reprioritizing things is amazing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was a hilarious thing, and and just that's been you know so they they that's been constant throughout my life, and kind of a similar aspect with you know I can say with my daughter now too, in a similar way, kind of wanting to make sure trying to be as productive as possible, and or being flexible when I'm working, how I'm doing things to make sure I don't miss too many moments with them. But yeah. With all of the work that you've done, have you uh, had any mentors or anything that have really kind of helped inspire you or help just kind of helped you out along the way as you've grown as a professional? You know, so, so yes, but not always in the traditional sense. And that's one of the things I've always been longing. Even to this day, I'm still, I, you know, I've tried to reach out to people and, and, and tried to forge non-organic relationships just because, you know, I genuinely believe in the power of mentorship. And there's the position I'm in right now, you know, there's, there's just so much I don't know what I don't know. And, I, and I'd love to kind of connect with someone to kind of who's been there and done that. And so, I have to look through, you know, this kind of vicarious lens of like the Marissa Mainers or Chris Cox over at Facebook and be meticulous at what I'm like genuinely reading and earnestly absorbing. But over the years, I mean, I've had a number of people in just small segments of my life who who meant a lot and who helped done things for me, but never, never just kind of long form mentorship kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And the, the cheesy aspect, what I would say, is, or, you know, to give credit where credit's due, I would say, you know, I was in the military as well. So, you know, Ira Watkins, my, um, you know, chief, my first chief when I first signed up for the two years I was there, he was, you know, he took me under his wing. He saw that I was just kind of young hooligan, really rough and was mad at the world kind of deal. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you know, and, uh, you know, he said I was too smart for my own good. I, I, I played a lot with the gray area, you know, I knew the rules, I understood the rules and I would, you know, kind of, anyways. And so he helped me a lot into maturing into a gentleman, uh, I, would, I guess I would kind of say. Um, okay. And so that was kind of for a couple of years. I didn't appreciate it for the first year. And so <laughs> and, uh, since he, once he left, I kind of was like, man, you know, I, I should have been more appreciative. So yeah, so that was great. Definitely, when I was doing Triplingo, Ross and Pratik, they were, they were great. Ross was the first one to kind of leave uh, the company. Like I mentioned, you know, he's he's you know got a couple of decades under his belt here in, in the tech scene, and so it was just kind of hard to kind of keep him as our our operating officer. And so I talked to him a lot during Triplingo, and even every now and again after I was like transitioning and doing a lot of different stuff, mm-hmm. he's been kind of cool to kind of reach out to. And then, yeah, you know, then, then, you know, I'd say my wife too, as far as more potentially more coaching and mentorships, although, you know, there's a lot that she doesn't understand our industry and doesn't understand like startup world or understand a lot of that stuff. But as a coach for me, man, you know, like she, she understands you, she understands me and she understands the world. Like, you know, basically, <laughs> how can I articulate? Like I, I wasn't human before we met, you know, like, <laughs> I 
<laughs> was just this apathetic asshole, you know. <laughs> and, you know, the irony of being in this kind of UX field where, you know, you kind of need to empathize with the customer is I find hilarious. And a lot of people who know me personally and know that aspect about my job, you know, we laugh about it because it's something I struggled with all my life. You know, being empathetic or showing emotion, I've just been always been robotic and, and this kind of logical person. And uh, and so I've taken you know a logical way to get empathy you know, without going much into that. But <laughs> but my wife has helped coach me, you know, over the like 10 years we've been together, just kind of helped me and mold me into this person. That's just, you know, I, and so I just kind of can't love and respect her enough to just kind of really, really appreciate just allowing to work and, and grow and allow me to grow with her. But, yeah. What advice would you give to someone that like, say they want to follow in your footsteps and what you've done in terms of your path to success? What would you tell them? What kind of advice would you give them? The biggest thing I think I would, I would tell someone, I'm not sure if it's a good or bad thing. A lot of people talk about, you know, don't be this jack of all trades for too long. Right. You know, kind of people talk about this T being a YT understand a lot, you know, potentially understand a long depth of different talents, but then pick one. Oh yeah. Like a T-shaped person. Right. And so that's kind of the general advice. And for the most part, that's kind of, I kind of, you know, agree with that. Most people don't have the ability to kind of, you know, continue doing, you know, what idiots like me do. I didn't pick one and, and I, I'm being forced to kind of pick some now, you know, I would say obviously, you know, if, if, as you start kind of moving, moving up, you need to narrow your focus. But if you want to follow and do that, which I do encourage, it's hustle, right? You know, I don't encourage like not sleeping, but it's just people love playing video games. And, you know, there's a lot of things you can do in your day where you could find, you know, I read at least, you know, uh, one book a month. If I haven't read a book a month and I'm just kind of, like I said, I'm, you know, I'm kind of really upset at myself and I make up for it. You know, I'll listen to an audio book and then I'll read another book in the next mm-hmm. month. I'm always reading. I'm always learning. That, but that comes with the machine aspect too. But so, if you want to do that, I, honestly, I would say just stay hungry and and just build a process and uh, and stick to it. You know, be disciplined. Not sure well, if answered or not. <laughs> no, I think that's a that's a good answer. Yeah. Well, Vince, you know, just to kind of wrap things up, where can our audience find out more about you online? Where can they follow your journey as you? go through this world of UX? So, you know, I'm my, my website or whatever, you know, as every other creative, as a struggle to be updated and, and current, but who is Vince.com? He goes there. You can follow me on, on Twitter and, and see my ramblings for industry related stuff to other things I care about. Who is Vince on Twitter? And, uh, and yeah, you know, if you, if you find me on Facebook, I don't encourage you to do that. I think that's weird. <laughs> <laughs> I kind of feel the same way. Like I have a Facebook account, but I am, I don't want to say I'm, I'm judicious in who I add. It's just that I don't really share like a lot of personal stuff. If anything on there, mm-hmm. I'll share, like I'm doing this, like work highlights right, right. It's stuff that I'll share. Cause my friends that know what I'm doing, they know cause I'll, I'll call them or I'll text them or something. Yeah. I'm not necessarily putting it on Facebook for public consumption. Yeah. Yeah. So I feel you on that. I totally feel you on that. All right. Well, Vince Baskerville, thank you for taking time out of your day for really kind of just walking me, not just through what you do with CallRail, but kind of just what your your work journey has been. I, I really think the the thread that ties a lot of this together is just how much you're a family man 
and and how much that informs your your work decisions, how much that informs even just how you, you know, just kind of carry yourself through life in general. So I think that's a good sort of balance to have, you know, because the work that we do, we can often get really consumed by it, especially in this industry, because things move so quickly and so fast and you have to keep up. But also to have that that sort of anchor for your fam- you know, as, as your family to help out kind of balance that is a really good thing. So thank you, man, so much for coming on the show. I appreciate no it. No problem, man. No problem at all. I appreciate you having me. And that's it for this week. Big thanks to Vince Baskerville and thanks to you for listening. You can find out more about Vince and his work through the links in the show notes at revisionpath.com. Thanks, of course, as always, to our sponsors, MailChimp and Hover. When it comes to email marketing, MailChimp makes it simple. They have great in-depth reporting, new and improved autoresponder features, and you can send 12,000 emails to 2,000 subscribers for free. No contracts and no credit card required. They also just introduced a new feature called Inbox Preview, which is powered by Litmus. And what Inbox Preview does is it lets you view your campaign in a bunch of different email clients, mobile environments. It's really, really cool. So it makes sure that your message will look the same in as many of your subscribers' inboxes as possible. Check them out at MailChimp.com. Hover takes all the hassle and confusion out of buying and managing your domain. Search for a few keywords and Hover will show you the best available options across all the domain extensions out there. Ready to get started? Save 10% off your first purchase by using the promo code REVISIONPATH at checkout. This episode was edited by RJ Basilio and produced by me, Maurice Cherry. Our intro is by Music Man Dre with intro and outro audio by Yellow Speaker. Make sure you subscribe to us on iTunes. Leave us a rating and a review. It really helps us get new listeners. It helps us go up in those iTunes rankings for design podcasts. And I'll even read your review right here on the show. Revision Path is brought to you by Lunch, a multidisciplinary creative studio in Atlanta, Georgia. If you like the work Revision Path is doing with the podcast and the website, then visit us over at Patreon and become a patron. Just go to patreon.com forward slash revision path and pledge your support. Pledge levels start at just $1 per month and you'll get access to behind-the-scenes information about the show, upcoming interviews, and so much more. Thanks so much for listening and we'll see you next time.